You're listening to the Back in History Class Podcast. Exactly, it's a serial killer, you might ask. For sure not someone who knows how to smash a box of cereal in one sitting. But a serial killer, by definition, is a person who commits a series of murders, often with no apparent motive, and typically following a characteristic, predictable behavior pattern. And this is where Henry Louis Wallace comes in. Or November 4th, 19... 19- 65, well known as the Taco Bell Strangler, a serial killer who raped and killed up to 10 women in Charlotte, North Carolina between 1992 to 1994. When police arrested him in March 1994, he confessed in disturbing detail to all of the murders. Wallace received the death sentence when his trial finally concluded nearly three years later. Henry was like any other guy. Sure, he grew up with a lot of restrictions at home due to his harsh disciplinarian mother, but in school, he was on top of the world. He was known for his great attitude, kindness, and willingness to help anyone at any time, according to his friends. Henry was surrounded by friends constantly, but at home, Henry was raised by Lottie May, who required obedience. Henry was taught to use his manners and obey the law. Their home was a small shack without electricity and water, which they lived in for Henry's entire childhood. Later in Henry's young life, after high school, he made his way into South Carolina State College, which was short-lived due to burglary. Henry stole CDs from the radio shack he had been working at and was fired. A few years later, Henry got married to Maretta Burnham, who was also pregnant. To support his family, he joined the Navy in 1987 but he was honorably discharged in 1988 for using drugs like cocaine. He served several warrants for burglaries in the Seattle metro area. Wallace was sentenced to two years supervised probation, which he hardly obeyed. Shortly after his discharge, his wife left him. His life was coming down and he had nothing left to keep him in South Carolina. So he decided to move back with his mother which now lived in Charlotte. Henry would lure in his victims with a kind and gentle nature, but in reality, he was a drug abuser, along with the wicked mind. The Taco Bell on North Sharon Amity Road wasn't just a regular fast food restaurant, but it was Henry's hunting ground for his victims around Charlotte. Getting his well-known nickname, as we'd said before, the Taco Bell Strangler. After Henry told her he wasn't going to pay her for her service, Sharon didn't take it well and made a fuss, so he beat her to death with his bare hands. He never exactly disposed of the body, he just dumped it nearby um, railroad tracks. In June 1992, his next victim, Caroline Love, worked at Bojangles and lived a normal life. Her days were generally the same, but she went to work every day but but did laundry once a week. Uh, this is where Henry took his chance. Uh, she exchanged some money for a few rolls of quarters with her boss before leaving work, as we were told by the research, then went out to do her laundry. She got a ride home from her cousin Robert Ross and waited for him to leave, and then um, Henry did what he did. Uh, 
Uh, he and left her apartment. He did what he did. You mean murder, right? Yes, he left her apartment in wreck, but took the bed sheets and Caroline also. They never found her and never told the police where he she was, and that was the fact involved with her dead. At least your clothes weren't dirty. <coughs> so Eli, tell us more about these murders. What's up, guys? This is Eli taking the reins. So let's get this horse rolling. So in February 1993, my man Henry had to go and kill Shauna Hawk and steal her car and money. So we know this dude's got a fetish with money or something because he couldn't pay his prostitute. Now he's stealing a car and money. Like maybe if he got a stable job or maybe even two, he'd be better because he wouldn't need to kill for money. But like there was no evidence of the murder and theft. So like it's hard to, but he confessed, but it's still hard to pin him because there is no evidence. But my man strangled her with a shower curtain in a bathroom in her house downstairs. And then her roommate, Sylvia, came home saw, uh, with Shauna's car and money. Oh, not, nah, never mind. Henry <laughs> took Shauna's car and money. But then Sylvia came home, started cooking dinner, and then when it started getting late, she just now started looking for Shauna. And she noticed that Shauna's purse and coat were in the living room and thought, well, that's weird because Homegirl, it's cold outside, and you need your stuff. So instead of searching the house for Shauna, she calls Shauna's boyfriend, who she thought might be with Shauna. So instead of Shauna's boyfriend saying, hey, look through the house, Daryl came over to the house and looked instead, and after about, like, probably 20 minutes, they happened to find her in the bathroom. Like, you're telling me, Sylvia didn't have to use the bathroom the whole time she came home. So they found Shauna underwater in the bathtub. Now you see why I said he's got a fetish with water too. With the shower curtain around her head. Like, I don't know if Sylvia went to the bathroom and just managed not to see her best friend underwater with the shower curtain on her head. Or like, she just was like, maybe I'm tripping. And that's not really there, so I'm just going to go finish my supper because maybe if I eat, I'll stop seeing it. But for some reason, like, they didn't find her for a while, which is kind of screwed up. But then, like, we get to June, and he's killing another chick already. Her name was Audrey Spain, not the country, the chick. And she was supposed to show up at work at Taco Bell. Yum, yum. And she never showed up. So her boss, Mark, drove to her apartment and found her car sitting outside. I mean, obviously, if she didn't show up to work, she's probably at home. So he decided to leave a message on her phone. Why didn't he go and knock on the door? Like, if you're at her house already and you see her car there and you're wondering why she's not at work, just go knock on the door. First of all, why is her boss at her house? That's what I want to know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Why does my, I don't want my boss doing what I did. He was worried about her. Yeah, maybe. But he decided to leave a message on her phone, however, instead of knocking on the daggum door. So, uh, and then he called Spain's sister, so they must have been close too or something, because, like, for again, he didn't go knock on the door. He just called her sister. Like, seriously, dude, it would have been easier to call knock on the door. And then after two phone calls, he decided to call the police. Police knocked on her door finally and got no answer. 
but they left. They didn't try and go and see if she was okay after they've already made three phone calls knocking. She didn't answer. Like, go check on her. But they found her de uh, by, uh, body two days later by a maintenance worker. So thank God the maintenance worker had to go fix something or else. She, maybe she never would have been found because everybody thought she might have just been asleep. I mean, yeah, she was kind of permanently sleeping, but then he had to go and kill a high schooler. I mean, a college person, Valencia Jumper, and she was a senior at Johnson Smith University for political science, but that's not where he knew her. She worked at Foo Lion on Central Avenue, and then she worked at Hicks in the South Park Mall, and... He confessed to her murder, but he left out most of the details, so it's kind of fuzzy. Uh, all they know is that she was cooking, left her pot on the stove, then was found dead by the firefighters. So, like, the police assume that he was at the apartment and they got the time between her starting dinner and the time of her discovery, but, like... It was never really known. Yeah, it was never really known. She could have just, like, passed out, forgot to turn off the stove, and, like... But, Accident, accidental suicide. But Henry did confess. He had something to do with it. He never went into detail, though. Yeah. Now we got Michelle Stinson. She was a little bit older than his normal targets. She had two sons, and he killed her in September. So we're starting to see that it's become a year-long thing. My man's getting more confident. He's starting to kill more people. He's getting cocky. And so... uh. James Mays stopped by her apartment to visit with uh, Michelle and her children. And Mays knocked on the front door and nobody answered. So see what happens when you knock on the door? You start to wonder. Uh, he heard the children knocking on the window and telling them that their mother was sleeping on the kitchen floor. Like, I know they're kids, but your parents don't sleep on the floor unless they're, like, drunk. Uh, but for any, Mays thought they were playing a game. I don't know why they would play a game called My Mom's Asleep on the Kitchen Floor, but for some reason he thought they were playing the game. So, uh, so obviously, Michelle never came to the door because she was asleep on the kitchen floor. But anyways, Mays came in through the back door and uh, found Stinson lying on the kitchen floor. And Mays tried calling the police, but the phone cord had been jerked out of the wall. Like, you know, we're talking before pre-cell phones. So he couldn't just whip out his iPhone and be like, 911, I got a chick. She knocked down on the floor. Uh, the phone's jerked out the wall. And the kids are in the, back, in the room thinking that their mom's asleep, but we all know what really happened. So, you know, he had to go to the neighbors to call the police. So... Then we got Vanessa Mack. She was his last murder, and he waited all the way until February 1994 to kill her. So she lived in an apartment in Charlotte with her two young daughters, and she worked at Carolina's Medical Center. Ooh, Barbara Rippey, Mack's daughter's grandmother, so I'm guessing that's probably either her mother or her ex-mother-in-law or something was supposed to pick her up around 6, and she never came out of her home. So Rippy decided to go knock on the door, 
She noticed Mac's feet through the window. Maybe she was asleep on the kitchen floor, too. But Rippy called 911 and took her granddaughters. Police say they found her laid across her bed with a towel around her neck and blood coming from her nose, ears, and back of her head. So that sounds pretty brutal compared to, like, he must have beat the heck out of her head or something. Like, he didn't just strangle them and hide them in the bathtub. He, like, beat them bloody and then put a towel around her head and then laid her on the bed. So, like, it's a different M.O. than his last kill. So, you know, he kind of got confident right there at the end, and that's what got him caught. So to kill this many people, this guy really wasn't that smart because he never really disposed of the bodies. He would just either leave them there or not correctly uh, dispose of them, which is maybe why he got caught. <laughs> um, so here we are with Autumn today, and she's going to tell us more about what really went down in the trial. So Wallace's trial began in 1996. Opening with opening arguments from prosecutor Marcia Goodnell, arguing death penalty. Meanwhile, defense attorney Isabel Day claims that Wallace has suffered mental illness and that the murders were not first degree because they were not premeditation and deliberation. According to FBI expert Robert Ressler, if he had elected to become a serial killer, he was going about it in the wrong way. Mr. Wallace always seemed to take one step forward and two steps back. He would take items and put them in the stove to destroy them by burning, but then forget to turn the stove on. The trial lasted until January 7, 1997, when Wallace was found guilty of nine counts of murder and was sentenced to nine death sentences on January 29th. Wallace made a statement to the families of his victims the following of his sentences, saying, None of these women, none of your daughters, mothers, sisters, or family members in any way deserved what they got. They did, this, they did nothing to me that warranted their death. And with that quote is how we end this episode today. Thank you for listening.